Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. We know tech. We are your hosts. I'm Scott, the teacher. And I'm Matthew, the tech coach. Hello, everybody, to the TNT EdTech Podcast. Scott and I are really excited to interview Bruce Reicher. And he is coming to us with over 20 years of experience teaching in K-12 schools. Currently the technology teacher at a middle school on the East Coast, but has these amazing television production uh, background and he's brought that to his classrooms. And in such a way that he's written a brand new book that we highly recommend and we talk about in this interview. The book is called Scripted. An Educator's Guide to Media in the Classroom. And one besides an amazing cover, you have to go check this book out just, just for the cover and the design, which is really nice. But he shares us some tips of creating these media type projects within your own classrooms, including streaming technologies uh, for the audio and video, and even bringing a radio station uh, to your schools, which is pretty neat, a student-run radio station. Uh, what an interesting idea. So let's get to the interview, uh, learning all about some new techniques for media in the classroom, uh, having different students collaborate, and finding more about his newest book called Scripted. Bruce, thank you for coming on. Welcome. It's great to be with you guys. Excited to uh, talk technology and find out also what's happening uh, to school on uh, your coast. I'm uh, from the East Coast tonight, so curious to find out what's going on with you, with you guys out there. Yeah, uh, it's a late night for you. The fires are still raging in California. Uh, last time I checked, but we have finally... Um, like gotten rid of this bright red sun every day there's a yellow sun yellowish orange uh we're not under constant cloud cover and there's not ash raining down uh 24 7 so i'm very thankful and appreciative uh yeah kudos. you can start to see the sky again right Scott? yeah it was so bad so kudos to the firefighters because uh, just they're heroes out here um, growing up in California, it's never been this bad. Like we've, we've had some fires, but in the last five years, I'm going to say we've had the worst fires in my lifetime. Like, I don't want this to be the new norm for California. Uh, it's got to change. So and you're right. Totally, <laughs> totally kudos to those guys. I saw on the news a couple nights ago, they're like interviewing them after three or four days and whoever is in charge of them is like, my guys are out there and gals doing like 16 hour shifts. Like they've done that for, you know, three or four days. And at that time there were people coming in from different states to actually help them just to give them a little bit of a relief and a little bit of a break. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, you know, fire is not good and how to stop the spread of it is difficult when it's so dry out there. Right. One of our um, friends that serves on a board with us, he had to evacuate. Thankfully, his community is safe. He's safe. But it's a little scary. Um, when we had Catlin Tucker on the show, we talked to her about her place burning down. And that was pretty traumatic. Last year, 
one of my neighbor's houses about five doors down caught fire and that was bad they're still working on that house over a year later and it's still not finished um i can only imagine what it's like for those who are up close like those guys are amazing <laughs> yeah and it ta- it takes a long time everybody was totally fine in my family but when i was like four years old uh during thanksgiving my mother was like cooking in the kitchen like the day before thanksgiving and old stoves that had the buttons like in the front and she accidentally hit a button and there was like a grease fire in the kitchen and the house it was fine like we were fine we got out okay but the house literally almost like burned to the ground and i was like four years old five years old the only thing that i remember is she's pulling me out of the house through where like the tv room was and dad said, you have to like turn off the TV before you leave the TV room. <laughs> She's like, you need to get out of the house now. The house is like burning down. Oh, You're worried wow. about the, you know, Zenith 19 inch color TV. <laughs> but uh, every, everybody was fine. And then we lived at relatives houses for a year, but it takes a long time, you know, to, uh, you know, to yeah. rebuild. So hopefully everybody is uh, safe out there and everybody's house and personal belongings and all that are okay. Yeah, I really hope so, too. But, you know, enough about us and Cali. I want to talk about you in the East Coast. I know you're in New Jersey. About how far are you from New York City? About five miles from my house. So only about 10 minutes from the city, northern New Jersey, um, in the metropolitan area. So we're doing fantastic right now, you know, with COVID and the pandemic. But we were definitely in the area that was hit hardest uh, when it first got here because so many people came from all different uh, countries into New York and uh, into New Jersey. But as of right now, we pretty much have everything squashed and they're still slowly coming out of it in New Jersey. They still don't have indoor dining. You can't go into a restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can only do outdoor dining. And it's put, you know, an interesting juxtaposition on schools here that, um, there's 540 little school districts in New Jersey, and they were told the beginning of the summer, come up with some type of hybrid plan. And right now you have 540 different plans in all of these districts, um, you know, from AM, PM split to fully remote and everything in between. So the other thing is, I know um, the West Coast and Midwest starts before us and the South too. Uh, in the metropolitan area where I live and the East Coast, we generally don't start school till after Labor Day. So the students here are not starting until September 8th. Um, and that's a little bit later, but it's going to give the teachers a little bit more time to get acclimated of, you know, going in the school, being safe with the masks of where to walk in the school and, you know, all the safety features that they set up for the teachers. Uh, so we're just getting ready to start. I know a couple of people are a couple of weeks ahead of us and hopefully we can learn or we are learning not only in the United States, but around the world from schools that have opened and what are good practices uh, that they did. So we can get a little bit of a jump maybe um, on, you know, getting the school year off started right and staying in school as long as possible. And I think that's obviously the biggest unknown is that once it goes over a certain percentage of students or teachers that might uh, be sick, then uh, they are going to close the schools down. So Hopefully, it's not a matter of time in a couple of weeks. Maybe it could be a couple of months. So we're just starting out here in New Jersey, and we'll have to see what happens. I'm. That's very interesting that I that you have this kind of 
perspective right now, kind of seeing what's going on with some of the other schools and district in the uh, states before you start, is there certain areas that you're looking at or you know that your school district's looking at that says, hey, we planned this, it looks like this is a good plan or something that you're gonna have to readjust or things that you've been keeping in mind of what wasn't going well or what was going well out there already? I mean, I think generally they just look at different trends in different places of schools that have started. I mean, I know one thing was the initial plan in the state of New Jersey was for all teachers to wear masks, but for it to be optional for all students to wear masks. And that changed about three weeks ago that now it's going to be mandatory for every student and mandatory for every teacher. Uh, so that will be like a big one that I think they learn from some of the trends out there. And honestly, some of the scary pictures of that students took in hallways of, you know, a jammed hallway in different schools and nobody has a mask at all. Forget about social distancing. And it's just going to be a matter of time, unfortunately, you know, in some of those schools for, you know, we know younger people do get sick from it. It's not um, deathly sick from it, but um, if, if you don't social distance and wear a mask and wash your hands, I think universally those are the three things that they are, uh, that they are concentrating on. And it's interesting, in March, when COVID hit, March 13th was our last day in school. Then the 16th, we went remote, like over the weekend, the next Monday, we went remote. I know in um, China, Japan, other countries, uh, there were really interesting interviews with the teachers uh, that had worked in those schools, but they lived in the United States. Uh, I think one was from like Shake Up Learning. Casey Bell was interviewing a teacher who said, and almost every school did this, you're just going to go to your regular curriculum and you're not going to be able to do it. There's no way you can go through all that material being remote. Like here's food for thought. If you get to half of the things, you're going to be lucky to get to half of the things. Because that teacher was saying after two weeks of trying to do everything, it's just impossible because the learning curve of learning the technology and not yeah. the interpersonal of being there with the students. And that teacher was exactly right. You know, in a couple of weeks in New Jersey, I know all the schools that went remote and said, you know, we'll be in, in class at 815 like we normally are and we'll go to 230. Uh, it didn't happen. I mean, it's too long to sit in front of a computer of, you know, Zoom or Google Meet, whatever you're doing. So I think they're taking, you know, big lessons from other uh, places and, you know, just try to be as safe as possible. And uh, even before I start school, they sent out videos from my schools, which I thought was a good idea to the students. Uh, I, I work in a K through eight district of even like the proper way to put on your mask and explain, you know, with video drop off and all that type of th those type of things. And, you know, I do think media is very effective that way, instead of giving someone, you know, here's 10 pages of directions of what we're doing. <laughs> instead, just go watch this three minute video right. and you get the gist of it. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Who wants to sit there and read through 10 pages? And when you start doing these things, uh, you might try to start like a one pager and then you think of all the what ifs right that you have to include and by the time you're done with it right you're you're at a few pages at least and you could have just done a video and what i've been having uh teachers look into recently since this just came out this week when we're talking is the uh microsoft transcribing feature and recording their audio, um, you know, whether it be in a video and they strip the audio from there and then they plug it in 
and then taking that audio and also offering it up as uh, written directions for those that are maybe hearing impaired um, or hearing and vi- um, you know visually impaired and need, need some different supports. You can include pictures in a written document as well, or it just helps seeing it in different formats. So, you know, just one other way, I think teachers are really going to have to think outside the box and have contingency plans. That's another thing I've been advocating for. You can't have just a plan A, you definitely need a plan B. And if you can also have a plan C. And yesterday, I used them all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you definitely you have to be nimble. And I think the thing is, if you embrace the change and look at it like a challenge, then it's going to be a challenge. If you look yes. at it like, you know, A and B didn't work, what am I going to do now? Then, uh, you know, you're, you're going to somehow get through, but I don't think as successfully if you're not, you know, trying to think of different options and different things that you could do. And we know that remote learning is definitely a challenge of reaching every student like we want to do. I know there's some students, believe it or not, and I've heard who thrived in remote learning, like they did better than they even did in class. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think the thing this year is, you know, for all educators, take the things you did well with remote learning, whether you're going back to the classroom or not, leverage those things and just add on to them. Like, for example, I teach uh, video production, coding and digital citizenship. This year, when I'm going to teach video production, I'm going to be doing it through Zoom. I'm going to have a guest come every every week into my class Um, you know, to talk about video production of people who are in the business. And even if I wasn't virtual, even if I was in, you know, real life in school, I would still be bringing up the Zoom and I would bring that guest in. And that's one of the trends that I see is it's become commonplace, obviously, to do video conferencing. And if I were to go video conference in my school and turn back the clock till February, I could do it, but I would have to get through five IT guys and the filter in order to open up the packet <laughs> to get that person on Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock. Like it wasn't, it, they didn't put up barricades on purpose, but I think it was like barricades. It was not easy enough to do, just say, I'll, I'll just send you the link and, you know, be there at two o'clock. And the biggest, you know, hurdle I see now is just, you know, find out what time zone the person's in. Cause that could be a little bit tricky. Uh, but once you have the time correct, I'm going to bring in experts, you know, for my class and, I think you could do that in any curriculum area is bring in experts. Everyone's home, everybody's Zooming or doing Google Meet, whatever your district does. And I think that's one of the really great things that even if you're back in person, take that from remote learning. You know, it's such a rich uh, place right now in terms of PD that you can connect with anybody. You could DM anybody and uh, educator. I think people in general respond to it if you dm them and say you know i really appreciate your work could you take a look at this or give me help with something and i think educators tenfold i think all educators are really um you know help other people out wow that's a great perspective just i love that you bring in the professionals and by the way i'm i don't know add your two cents to this matthew uh, right. I, I think we'd be willing if you ever needed or anybody, any of our listeners needed uh, some podcasting experts or student podcasting experts to come in and talk and share about audio and how to get 
quality and setup guests and different things like that, we'd be more than willing. So, you know, just let us know if you ever go into that realm. Yeah, I'll definitely. I mean, we were kind of doing that in the physical classrooms. Uh, so just like you said, Bruce, I mean, if you had a guest come to your class, the physical sense, there's still, you know, we have the capability now. It doesn't have to even be local. It can be anywhere in the world, like you said, with the way that these tools work with video conferencing and just the perspectives um, and hearing different voices, different ideas. I think it's really important for the students and, and even for them to start thinking and asking questions to those guests is, is a great great skill for yeah, to be involved in. One of the uh, groups that I really enjoy is like the GEG, the Google Education Groups, but from New Jersey on the East Coast, I found this GE, a global GEG group, which is a bunch of Google innovators and trainers. And I'm like, that's amazing that I can connect with them. The video quality is perfect. The audio quality is perfect. And believe it or not, this year they had a global GEG rooms open for like health, wellness, COVID, going back to school, reopening school. And every Thursday morning at nine o'clock in the East Coast, it's like, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon in England and all these other countries that people were in a Google Meet room. There was 15, 20 people. And, you know, everybody is educator at heart even though, you know, they might have, I'm not a Google innovator or trainer, it didn't really matter. You know, the topic matter of, you know, pandemic and how you're dealing with students and dealing with your own wellness is something that everybody can relate to. Um, and I think it made those conversations rich. And now most of the people that were in those rooms, now I communicate with them all the time, uh, specifically on Twitter, but also on Facebook. And you have a little bit of a rapport with them. You didn't meet them in person, but you met them in the room and they know your face. And I think the video is important that they feel like they've met you before. And you guys probably know the feeling if you connected with someone on social media, Twitter, and then you meet them at a conference or at an ed camp, you do have like a special bond with that person, even though you haven't met them face to face before you kind of have like prior knowledge with them and you, you know, enjoy their company when you meet them in person. It's awesome. Yeah. That's the best when you've, met somebody online and you've developed this relationship and then you see them in person it's such a unique feeling it's like you know them your friends you're you're like family sometimes even because you've worked so closely together but you've had this space i equate it to it being like maybe back in the day before we had all this tech and you had a friend that you wrote overseas so you kept up in correspondence but you didn't, you know, see them as regularly. And then when you do, just like the floodgates of emotion open and it's such a great experience. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, the reaching out part, um, I know that you guys know we had a book that came out August 11th called Scripted, An Educator's Guide to Media in the Classroom. I wrote it with Paula Neidlinger and Rand Randall Tomes, Randy um, Tomes. Uh, both of those educators are from Indiana and I'm from New Jersey. I met them on Twitter uh, five years ago and then we our classes communicated and then eventually uh, it's cool. We ended up writing a book together of our experiences in the classroom. Uh, but the real story is in order to get the word out about the book, I was ready to go to ed camps all over the place uh, along the East Coast. And obviously all the ed camps were canceled in person. 
But um, do not be afraid to DM or send anybody a direct message. I DM 16 different podcasts, and I'm 14 out of 16, which is pretty good, that we were able to book ourselves on all of those shows just by sending a direct message saying, they are podcasts that I listen to. I enjoy your show. If you ever have an opening for a guest, this would be like an amazing topic to talk about tech ed and distance learning and along with our book of media in the classroom and now media remotely um, of everybody doing media on their phones or Chromebooks or whatever you may use. And uh, I'm not a math teacher, but 14 out of 16 is a pretty good percentage. Yeah, I would say that's really good. That's those are really good odds. And that's how we first connected. Uh, I, I think I had seen some of your work before, and then some of your posts looked familiar from ISTIAT last year. Uh, I think I, I saw some of those. But what really sealed the deal was when you DM'd me, because it, it shows real initiative, right, to put yourself out there. And uh, if you remember, I let you know, hey, we're kind of busy right now with mm -hmm. COVID and it was crazy, but I'm glad we finally made it happen. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but um, I always feel like whenever we do finally connect with somebody, especially somebody we've been trying to get on the show for a while, it makes it that much better. So I'm glad you're able to come on and, you know, speak a little bit more to that um, process of the book, because I know there are more and more people that want to share their ideas, but something like writing a book can be overwhelming, almost insurmountable, but there's so much talent out there, especially within our PLN on Twitter. What advice would you have for them? I mean, come up with a good idea, you know, and write a book about something that you know a lot about and that you've done. That's what we ended up doing where the two other authors, Randy and Paula, all of us have taught at least 20 years in the classroom of teaching media. So we put all of our ideas together in a book. And frankly, we ended up, the spark for the book was we were looking for manuals or you know media production books. And honestly, the only ones that we found were 10 or 15 years old, which you, as you know, like in technology, if something's <laughs> the new thing comes out the next day, it's obsolete. But if it's two or three years old, that's too old. So, you know, a manual for video production or audio production that's, you know, 10 years old um, is going to be outdated very quickly. So, you know, that was the idea for us to write the book because we couldn't find one. And then we said, you know, the three of us have been teaching for a long time. And Randy is an elementary teacher. Paul is a middle school teacher. I've taught middle school and high school. And, you know, we put all of our ideas together. And I think, you know, the thing for writing a book is have something that you're passionate about and that you love doing and like just let the rest follow. Almost like I would give that person advice for a job too. You know, I wouldn't go into the book saying, okay, what's a big money making idea? Let me come up with something that I can, you know, figure out that I can write a book about. Um, instead, write a book about something you're passionate about, something that you're doing, something that you know a lot about. Um, and I think, you know, the rest of it will follow. And for me personally, this is not a bucket list thing. This was never, oh, I always want to write a book. It was just an adventure that found me when uh, Paula asked me two years ago in October, uh, would I be interested in helping her do this? And by the way, she had an elementary teacher, a media teacher who I never met before. Um, 
that they have radio stations, TV stations, they produce movies in their school. Would I be interested in doing a book with them? And I'm like, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the coolest part in the beginning, guys, was the first two months. I don't think we wrote anything. We were like, wait, you do that in your school? What microphone do you use? What camera do you use? What tripod do you use? That's a great idea for a project. And like, we had a lot in common of what we taught, but we had never, I had met Paula before in New York City at uh, radio and TV conferences, but I had never met Randy before. And the three of us luckily just hit it off. And I guess the main thing is write about something that you're passionate about. Um, This is certainly not a money-making, you know, adventure. Uh, do something that you really care about. And then I think that comes through in the work. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When you do what you love and you're being real, people take notice. It's very evident. Um, You know, I would say this has definitely got to be a high point in your career. Are there any other like pivotal moments in your career that have really shaped you or helped you get to where you're at right now? I mean, I think the most pivotal moment was I went back to school. I got my master's in elementary education, and I was happy being an elementary fourth grade. And one school was K through six, sixth grade teacher. Um, I had moved back home from Connecticut to New Jersey, started working in uh, computer labs, and I enjoyed that too. But I think the biggest pivotal moment was in a middle school, and I had never taught in middle school at all. There was an opening to an existing morning TV show that they were already doing in my school district. And luckily enough, I had gone to undergraduate school at University of Hartford and majored in radio and television. And I was a sportscaster for three years before I ever went into education. And I was like, that's it. Like, I want to work in a TV studio along with doing everything that I know with technology. And that, you know, brought my two worlds together. And I think I have the unique ability that I learned how to teach first and then afterwards, you know, apply all of the technology piece. And I think it's hard to find sometimes you have an expert who might have worked at a TV station, but can't teach or someone that could teach, but they don't know anything about media. They're just starting to learn it. So it just brought my two worlds together. And I would say the biggest pivotal moment is when I kind of took a risk to move up to middle school. I never even thought about working at middle school. And the show that we did, and I still do today, is pretty rigorous of eighth graders doing a live show every single day of the school year, an eight, 10 minute live show streamed in the school. Uh, The school that I'm in now, I've been there for 14 years. And last year we hit our 2000th live show that eighth graders did They run everything. We're facilitators, Jonathan Harvey, the enrichment teacher, and myself. And they put on a full uh, news production every single morning. Um, So I would say that's a pivotal pivotal moment when my sports sports casting world or media world, my own media world, came together with my teaching world in middle school. uh, And then the rest is history. Wow. What do you think about that, Matthew? (laughs) That's pretty cool. You think we could ever get something like that up and running in our district? Or do we have anything like that? We do. We do. We have uh, uh, elementary school sites that do the homeroom announcements, and they post those daily in Schoology. They have interviews. uh, And we have some middle schools and high schools. I also do student-run 
announcements and news uh, video productions. And I think one of the neat things is that the students are all coming together to collaborate and work together with the different skill sets. I think the title of your book, just like you said, they they work in different uh, groups and teams of scripting, doing the interviews, setting everything up, uh, those who are on camera, mm -hmm. uh, those who run the editing. So, so many different uh, roles that can come together for that collaboration with projects like this. I think it's incredible. But I think going to what you're saying, Sky, I think this is actually uh, something that you know, we have what, 22 elementary schools and right now I'm aware of one that's doing it. So I think there's a lot more opportunity Definitely. for this to grow in our district. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, and this is one of the things that we write about in the book, is just start small and start with what you have. And you don't need to go out and buy thousands of dollars of equipment. Like uh, your phone is fine, the Chromebook is fine. Like if you have any device and it has a camera and has a microphone on it, that's perfectly fine. It doesn't have to be a full, this is after 14 years, we do a live eight to 10 minute show. We started 14 years ago to pilot it. We started with five students, one student on the air, one camera person, and one person behind the scenes. And, you know, just started very small and built it out. And, you know, the reason we really want, we would love everybody to do media or more media in any curriculum area is you take a look at future skills and there's like top 10 list of 2015, 2020, 2025, where they predict what skills that you'll need. And all 10 of them fit in perfectly to everything that you have to do to create media. And in 2015, creativity was number eight out of the top 10 list. In 2020, it crept up to number two, right behind problem solving. And I bet you it's, it could be number one in five more years that all of those skills of collaboration, working with people, problem solving, creativity. Um, you could be creative and it doesn't have to be a full news show to create media. It could be just take your curriculum, let your curriculum drive whatever media that your students are going to create and make a public service announcement, make a little Flipgrid board, uh, make even with Zoom or Google Meet, whatever you use, you might just record yourself on there for, you know, 30 seconds and have a, you know, video done. And one of the other ideas, too, of doing things remotely is I want my students now to interview people on Zoom, record it, and then use that in the TV show for when they're not in school. Um, so the technology is out there and the cost of it is not a lot at all. And that's a big piece of the book that you don't need to have any type of budget to start. And then we talk about ways you can, uh, you know, go to the community and do things, um, you know, to try to fundraise, you know, to try to build something in your school. But you start small and then you build it up. And the other important point in the book and things that all three of us have seen, you talk about social, emotional learning and wellness. Go do a TV show with kids. You're going to see kids rise that you maybe never even heard from before. And all of a sudden, the very quiet kid in the back wants to be like the host of the show or be the weather person. And we end up seeing this in my school because it's six, seven, and eight. And I get sixth grade teachers. They're like, who is this kid who's hosting the show that in eighth grade, I had him in sixth grade. They didn't even say anything in the back of the room for a long time. So, you know, kids develop in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And this could really be put into any grade level. It doesn't have to be middle school, high school, or elementary school. And in fact, Randy, Randy Tomes, one of the authors he does this in elementary school, not only a TV show, guys, 
he does a radio show with second and third graders putting on a headset wow. and they're on like a um, backbone radio is what we use. They're on an internet radio show in their school and on um, iHeartRadio. It's incredible. That's neat. Now, I see on your website, you, do you have, it says scripted radio station coming soon. Is this part of what you're mentioning? Correct. What we did, which I think is a smart move, is we partnered up in the book with three companies and the companies we use them. Their customer service is awesome. One of them is WeVideo for video editing. The other one is Wakelet for um putting all different types of media and you could do Flipgrid shorts inside Wakelet. And then the third one is something called Backbone Network, which Backbone Network is internet radio stations. Uh, right now they have about 400 regular radio stations in the country. They got into high schools like five years ago, and now they want to get into middle schools and even elementary schools. You need a laptop, you need a headset, their software, and that's it. They give you a commercial-free radio station and you program your radio station with whatever type of content you want from your school. And um, it's it's incredible. They, they're giving us for our book and the website, we're going to have a radio station on the website that we will you know, program in podcasts, live programming, and we'll be able to do it right from the Scripted Educator website. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Is, is this, do you, do you, do you have content running the whole time or is there certain times that people would tune in on the radio station? I think what they do, and it's fun. The other two people are the radio people. I don't have a radio station in my school yet is I think what they do is you pick the type of music that you would like to play, whether it's, you know, classic music or top 40 music, some type of format. And you, you pay for that format. You become part of the, college radio network. And I think what you basically do is there's software that you program either, you know, um, you know, the TNT show is going to be on every Friday at eight o'clock Eastern and you program that into the schedule and then upload it. Or they also have technology. I think that's called Lucy that works right from cell phones and you could go live wherever you are. You could cut into the radio station and do a talk show at an ed camp or um, both of those schools, that's how they do live sports. They'll cut into the radio station and they're doing call-in shows. They're doing live sports. And I went from writing the book, I went out to Indiana uh, last year during spring break. Let me tell you, you get blown away when you see kids who are eight and nine. They have headsets on, they're spinning records, they're doing sports, and they're on a radio station. And all of the work that goes into that of brainstorming, planning, writing, you know, um, having the willingness, you know, to hear your voice and make your voice better and, uh, you know, to be out there publishing things. I really think it is a smart way to go that even if those students are not going to be on radio or TV someday, all of those skills that they need are future skills that they're going to need, uh, you know, in the future workplace. Yeah, that's that is amazing, yeah. um, Scott. I think I think we got to start the TNT uh, EdTech radio station. I, yeah, I, so, so many I ideas. Just, it is. I mean, you kind of think of it it's like an old medium, but there's so many ways that can be used. And I just heard just this week that Apple came out with three different radio stations themselves, and they really see a future of hosted radio stations with commentary. Uh, where uh, 
you know, they were starting to see that people with different playlists and stuff, they wanted to have this more personal take on the music they were listening to with curated hosts. And I think there's a, a good place for radio again. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing, too, about radio is and you could tell I'm a big fan of it. I went to school and studied radio and television is especially with students, you know, doing remote learning. You don't have to do a full radio show. A lot of kids, and you know this, you know, from Flipgrid, they don't even want their faces on. A lot of kids on Zoom, too, they don't want their faces on. But they still want to be heard. And you could do audio production and do a podcast about something that you're passionate about. Research it, write it, maybe do it with a partner or do it by yourself. And come up with some really interesting products. And the thing I know from doing this is, like, those kids learning and understanding of whatever their topic is, is so rich when they create something from scratch, as opposed to, you know, here's a quiz on radio. You know, do you know the difference between all these type of microphones and you're doing like a multiple choice test? Like, you know, think about that verse. Look, you're going to do a radio show or a podcast. You come up with the topic, you write it, come up with your friends that you want to do it with. And it's not so easy. You really have to put a lot of thought into it. And like everything else, the first couple of times, you know, four or five times that you do it, it's not going to be so easy, you know, to hear your voice and, you know, even record something for 30 or 60 seconds. Uh, Forget about doing, you know, longer than that in the beginning. Uh, It's not an easy proposition, but kids can definitely step up to the plate and do it. And I know from middle school of doing the TV show, if you raise the bar and tell them, you know, this is how we would like to do the show. And we have fun on the show, but we don't do any bloopers. And, you know, we try to be as professional as possible when they're on the air that, you know, 550 people are watching the, the show live in the school. And then we put the uh, recording of the show um, up on our website. Um, but, you know, if you raise the bar for kids in anything, but especially in this, they will step up to it. And I had an interesting thing the other day that, Every single student that we have now, none of them were born before the internet or YouTube. I mean, all of them are getting all of their content from YouTube, video, audio. They're just used to it. It's in their wheelhouse. So to show them how to refine it and come out with some type of you know production piece about an academic topic, um, most kids, not all, but most kids really do love it and enjoy doing it. Yeah, I think you get a different passion out of the students when you give them some of that ownership with those projects. Yeah, definitely. And I found in remote learning, which I'm still going to be in partially, I've also I've become a big fan of choice boards and giving them choice of, you know, here are six different video projects that you could pick. You could pick any of them. And in a marking period for us, it's about 20 classes. I would like you to do two out of the six that are on the choice board whether they be a video about vacation, a public service announcement, it could be something that ties into that month, you know, of school. And of course, with all the heroes, you know, from the pandemic and different issues with that. And the kids have come up with some phenomenal um, content uh, by giving them, you know, choice of picking, you know, what they would like to do instead of saying every single person, we're all going to do a video on a pandemic. Okay, go. Let's see what you come up with to let them have choice to pick whatever topic they would like. One of the big things right now, because it's so much of video meetings and video conferencing uh, with the teachers and students, do you have tips on video etiquette for students? 
I mean, the video etiquette for the student, the best thing I could tell people, and I actually have it on my Wakelet site that we're going to talk about in a little while, is use infographics. I think infographics are really powerful of giving a student an infographic where they can look at pictures and come up with whatever you want your system to be of how you want them to behave and model it for them. And even coming up with some type of nonverbal hand signals. I know you can raise your hand in some of the you know different programs, but I think if you're the teacher, you're modeling it for them um, exactly how you want them to behave. And I've heard it said, you know, just like you would have in a regular classroom, especially in the beginning of the year, you're modeling the procedures and how you want the students to behave. You would do exactly the same thing, uh, you know, in a video conference of, you know, what you would want them to do, how you would want them to behave um, and interact. And the other interesting thing I actually saw today, and this I have to look into, it's becoming more and more popular for educators to have two monitors instead of one monitor. So you could look in one monitor of what you're teaching, and then in the other monitor, you could actually see the room, whether it be Zoom or Google Meet. So that would be, I haven't tried that yet, but that would be an in interesting concept of your teaching. And then you say, uh, you know, Bruce, okay, it's your turn. Can you talk about this topic? Like you might do in a classroom if you see someone who's not engaged to try to re-engage them. If you were able to see all the students while you're teaching, to me is an interesting uh, idea that I actually just saw today. And by having two monitors, I don't honestly even know how to set that up, but that's something that I'm definitely looking to learn, you know, for this school year to do remote learning a little bit better. Oh, we could probably do an episode on that, Matthew. I feel I like we we're, <laughs> we're pros. We're actually doing that in our yeah. district and helping more and more teachers each day switch over. And you're absolutely right. The things you're talking about seeing with the dual monitor are what we're doing. So, yeah, you have your so we use Microsoft Teams instead of mm -hmm. Zoom or Google Meet. But same, same thing. They're slightly different. And you, we now have an upgraded experience to where we get that um, like seven by seven grid view in uh, Microsoft Teams, they call it gallery view. And then there's a cool feature that they have. Uh, it's called together mode. So it takes out the background and puts the students in your desired background. So the default is a, like a college classroom looking background and it places them in seats. So that's kind of cool. It makes you feel like you're you're in class and then you could give your lecture and go through your slides on the other screen. Um, cool. It, it, it's so nice, so efficient. So we, we try to get our teachers up and running on that as soon as possible when they're ready. There's some at the elementary level who are new entirely to one-to-one -to -one devices. And then there's some veteran teachers who maybe are just a little bit more behind. And so this technology and this huge shift to being um, all online for us right now, going completely remote is, you know, a bit shocking. And so we're, we're letting them go at their own pace. But I would say a vast majority of teachers are using both monitors and we've instructed them to do just that and it's been really successful in that regard are there any uh, like safety measures that you're aware of or pro tips in terms of administering these video conferences with students that teachers should be aware of so we 
don't have snafus and get our classes overtaken and overrun by those wanting to uh, be the next internet yeah. sensation. <laughs> I got yeah, I got a couple good ones for you because we ran into that. We were running Google Meet in the beginning before we uh, switched over to Zoom. And you're exactly right; the tool really doesn't matter. But what I ended up doing, and people were like, "Oh, you did that? That's actually not a bad idea." We run everything through Google Classroom. I'll probably still do it this year. If I'm meeting with the class at 12 o'clock, I will post the link at 11.59 and 30 seconds. And then at 12 o'clock, we're in the room. So I'm literally posting the link like 30 seconds before the class starts. So they have to click on the link, get into the room, and it might take me a couple of minutes to get the room up and going. But the point is, I would not post the link to the room. And some people were doing this in the beginning, like on the school website or post it in Google Classroom for a week. And then by the time you get there, every every single person has gone, you know, and shared and shared that link. So right. for security, I would give it to them like as late as you can. And the other thing to tell you guys, I actually listened to this. I don't know if you know their podcast or not. The Got Tech Ed podcast. Uh, yeah. It's through my friends from New Jersey. They, <laughs> they did a 30-minute show on Zoom tips. And the best Zoom tip that they gave was another, it seems something in the water in Jersey, another Jersey guy, Kyle Nemes. You might know him through the Classroom Q um, app. And what Kyle Nemes does, which is very ingenious, is he just runs his PowerPoint um, as the background. And then he becomes oh, the foreground. Oh, showed that whole... tip on Zoom. That's so cool. Yeah, they posted a video of it too. If you go to that Got Tech Ed podcast, um, it's the Zoom episode and they give you the hyperlink to it. It shows you in a three-minute video how to do it. The only caveat which they point out, and we're a one-to-one -one with Chromebooks, I guess the teacher, I'm on a MacBook Pro right now, the teacher would be able to do it, but you can't do that on a Chromebook. But if you're on a device where you could change the backgrounds, just run your background as your presentation. Wow, that is, that is really cool. I'm glad you brought up Kyle. He's a former guest as well. We had him on. Uh, during the summer. So that was great. He was on with uh, the founders of Gimkit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I don't know the other host of um, Got Tech, but I know Eric Geis. So, Eric Geis, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Eric, Eric is great. And uh, Nick is the other, uh, the other co-host of it, uh, Nick Johnson. They both work in the same school district. They're both, they met as science teachers there. And they're also very good presenters. I've seen them at a whole bunch of ed camps and, you know, in person, live. They have, uh, you know, super chemistry with each other. But, you know, those are the type of tips that I would use is you're not recreating the wheel. You're just giving someone maybe a different way to look at it. And you're actually taking something. If the teacher has a Google slideshow already, instead of sharing the screen and doing it that way, just, you know, import it in as your background and then, I think they were even talking about in certain software, then you could even move yourself around being the picture in picture of how big or small you are and where you appear uh, in front of the Google slideshow or the PowerPoint, whatever it may be. Oh, that's really cool. That brings up this other technology. Uh, I'm in the beta for it, but I'll admit I have not tried it yet. Have you heard or tried of a program called Mm-hmm? No, not yet. So this one, um, it, I forgot who it was created by. It, it's some big time guy 
it's escaping me right now. We're at the end of the week, end of the day as we're recording. It's getting later, so I'm not firing on all cylinders. But this guy worked for a major tech company, and he's come out with this tool, and it lets you very much do like what you might see done on a news or, or broadcast type show, where you can put your your image, you can run different images. Uh, in the background, you can overlay images, you can shrink them on the fly, you can uh, zoom in on different spots. Uh, it's pretty neat. We'll throw it in the show notes for you to check out. I have not played cool. with it, like I said, but it's a cool one. I've been and what, it, and what is that one called again? It's called mm-hmm. So M-M-H-M-M, I believe. I might be missing okay. a couple M's. It's either three or two M's. Okay. It, it's very unique name here i'm looking it up on because i'll tell you it's, one i'll yeah, tell you one mmhmm sorry bruce okay that's okay i'll tell you one that i get a big kick out of and if you notice a trend all of the podcasts are going to this educational ones and others mm-hmm. in business is this stream yard where you go oh in, yes for sure stream and those guys are they're in the early 20s because they do their own youtube videos and have their own like stream yard session you can use a chromebook and everything runs off of their servers. So you go into StreamYard, you set up your show. It is like a mini TV show that you could set up lower thirds in Canva. You could make your backgrounds, your skins, you know, all this cool stuff. And then as you're doing your show for free, I think you can stream out to three places. So you could have it going to YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitch, you know, all these different places at once. And um, I, I've, been on one, um, my, uh, my ed tech life, um, by Alfonso Medoso. He does it where he does his podcast live now with Streamyard, and it's called, uh, my ed tech life is the name of his show. He does it live on Streamyard, and which is fantastic. He has a live audience and they're in like the YouTube stream and Facebook stream asking questions while you're on, but you guys would appreciate the best part is when he's done. He clicks one button, he downloads the audio stream, and then puts it wherever he puts his podcast. He goes to the video, he downloads that, he puts it up to his YouTube channel. And now instead of just being in one place of where you might go listen to a show, now there's several different, more than several different places where you could watch the show, you could interact with the show, you could still listen to the show as a podcast. And I know teachers who started to use StreamYard in high school and college last year, I'm like, I have my wheels going for my own TV show with the students, that how cool would it be for them to interview someone in StreamYard and you could put in comments, you could put in lower thirds, some of the things that we do for the live TV show and really come out with a slick production. And again, they could actually do it on Chromebooks, which interests me that you don't need to have a lot of power on the computer you're doing it with because you're connecting uh, you know, to their servers uh, from StreamYard. Right. You just need that good connection and you're ready to go. And most schools, I, they have fantastic connections now. It, it's so nice. That was something that inhibited schools for a while. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, you've given us some great tools uh, to go and review and talk about. And you've started to give us some people to follow. Who are some people additionally that our listeners should be following on Twitter. These people, I have three good ones for you, more than good ones, really fantastic ones. And you know how we talked about before, 
you know, you meet people face to face and even your PLN comes, even what people are calling like your PLF, like your personal learning family is these are the three that I have for you. Don Goble from St. Louis is a fantastic high school media teacher, Ledoux High School. He teaches at, he did a fantastic thing. He did his own passion project called Media Makers during the pandemic. He went 35 shows in a row. He interviewed anybody who had gone to his school as a student or had something to do with St. Louis and his school. And he modeled for his students how you would do an internet TV show with them. So he had students who were engineers, on-air people, because he was in St. Louis. He had Joe Buck from the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and Fox, Fox Sports and stuff. And he did the same thing we were talking about before. He DM'd Joe Buck. He didn't know Joe Buck. And then he ended up you know, getting him on the show. On his website, dongobel.com, he has amazing resources. And also he uses something called SchoolTube. And if you go to SchoolTube University, it's free. He has amazing tutorials of how to conduct interviews, how to do a TV show, how to work uh, with old legacy equipment. So Don Goble would be one. The next one is from New Jersey, my friend Kim Matina. She's uh, the tech lady, and she does a show called The Sweet Talk. And uh, Kim is just like all around Google person. And her best thing is she's like a straight straight arrow forward and like a Staten Island person with her accent that I feel like I'm just in the room talking to her when I've been on her show. And she, her expertise amongst other things is Jamboard. Do you guys use the Jamboard? Oh, I just, just, we yeah. just turned it on. It's, it just became a core uh, G okay. Suite uh, service. So we just turned it on, but go, go, uh, we would love to hear more about it. Yeah. Go to Kim Matina's YouTube page. She has tons of videos of exactly how to work with a Jamboard. And I know they just came out with new tools for this year, uh, you know, for the Jamboard. So Kim Matina would be my second one. And then my third one is my buddy. I met her last year at ISTE. Luckily, it was on the East Coast in Philadelphia. Jen Lieban is from right outside of Chicago. She was an art teacher turned media STEM teacher turned now she's a, a media center teacher in an elementary school. You want to go see some good green screen videos and learn how to do it. Go follow her at Mrs. Lieban. It will be in the show notes. I know you guys are going to put it just a very creative art person who now has gone to STEM and now to a media center and um, breaks everything down just to be very easy. Like in we video, how to have a picture of yourself in the background, then take video of yourself and put yourself on a picture frame. And before you know it, you're like talking to yourself in the video. She has uh, fantastic ideas. And those would be my three. So at Don Goble 2011 on Twitter, Don Goble. Kim Matina is the underscore tech underscore lady. And the final one is Jen Lieban at Mrs. Lieban. Um, follow those three and you cannot go wrong. And the nicest thing from getting to know them, I've never met Don Goble in person, but Kim and Jen, I've met in person many times. And they're awesome people and they're awesome educators. Those would be the three that I would follow. No, I, I love those. And I'm glad uh, I made sure I was following all of them. I follow Don most closely, so I'm very familiar with his work. And uh, and I made sure to follow the lady. So that is great. Um I, I checked out their work as you were talking and there's lots of stuff I can pull from there. And I can see that uh, 
Jennifer Levin also had on our friend Kyle Nemeth. So uh, recently on August 15th. So check out her episode with Kyle too. Uh, he always produces good stuff, very innovative guy. And just, just like yourself, Bruce, you know, just a very uh, relational, easy to talk to person. As we close here, what piece of advice would you have for our guests uh, either related to media or related to school reopenings? I mean, the biggest advice I could give people with, you know, school reopening and people's teaching for this year is don't get overwhelmed. You know, it's so easily to get overwhelmed, especially with tech tools. They were all free last year. Go to the ones that you know and your students know. And for me, I just go, I'm adding a fourth one, but I had a big three for a long time of WeVideo for video production, animated GIF, screencast, or podcasting. I could do all those in WeVideo. Wakelet for curation of all my sites, keep them all public. And I have my classes also in Wakelet. And then the third and final one is Google tools or for you guys, Microsoft tools, just the same. It really doesn't matter, but whatever the base is that your district has. And then really my fourth one that I'm adding in. And just today I told my district, we have to get this is um, book creator and book creator was only on the iPad originally and nothing else. So I think I saw it at one point and let it go out of my brain. Well, two years ago, it came back as a website. And let me tell you, in Book Creator, I thought it was just an elementary app at the time. Any grade level could do this. And there are tech guides that are done uh, with Book Creator that are phenomenal. This summer, I worked on one. I'll put it in the show notes for you. It's called The Epic Book of Apps. It's by Christina Holweiss was the one who crowned Yes, yes. She's at the at librarian on, on Twitter. I'm glad you brought that one up. Keep going. She did this and she put together, you talk about going out and just asking people you don't know. I was one of the 50 educators. I know Jen Lieban is in there too, um, that she asked to write either two, four or six pages. Now I never used book creator before, but let me tell you, you could do everything in it. You could put in audio, video, text, animation. You make it look like a comic book. You could share it. It's a phenomenal tool. I took courses on it in the summer. It has immersive reader built in, you know, from Microsoft. So it Mm -hmm. can also read in, I don't know what, 150 different languages. Um, Book Creator is really one that I'm including now, like in my four. And um, the Epic, I'll send you the link to it, that that Epic book of apps written by 50 teachers. And then she also did another one just for media specialists of like the Epic book of media specialists of tons of great digital literacy, digital citizenship lessons. And she did it the same exact way. She just crowdsourced it. And this is what I meant before. I mean, educators are fantastic in terms of they want to give their time. They want to help other people. And I know the Epic Book of Apps and the other one that she did, everybody did it for free. She just asked people to crowdsource. They knew it would be a really valuable source for teachers and importantly updated. This Epic Book of Apps was only written like two weeks ago. So this is not something that was written a couple of years ago and you're going to see a hypercard in there or, you know, maybe tools that people don't use anymore. Uh, there's all tools that are updated, uh, updated in there. Um, and then, you know, the other advice that we talked about is DM people on Twitter. 
If you're on Twitter and you follow other educators, do not be afraid, you know, to go DM them. And then my last piece of advice I have to give, I mean, we wrote the book, is look for the Scripted Educator book, scriptededucators.com, and everybody can create media. This book is not for radio and television teachers, although they can read it too. It's really for the classroom teacher who doesn't know where to start. It gives you the hardware, software, directions, rubrics, all different ideas. And, you know, we did not go out and do research for the book. Randy, Paula, and myself have all taught over 20 years each. We have over 60 years of experience. It's basically us giving all of our tips and tricks in one place. And I would uh, take a look for that, scriptededucators.com. And the book is called Scripted. No, our listeners definitely need to check that out. I absolutely love the cover. Uh, your wife did it, correct? The uh, actually, Randy's wife did it. She's a graphic oh, artist. Wife. Okay, my 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 bad there. I knew somebody's wife did it. I thought it was yours. She did a fantastic job. She has a great eye. Normally, uh, you know, it's a little easier to pick on educational book covers you know there are some companies that really do a good job uh and there are certain authors that do a really good job on their covers but some are more bland uh than i would like to see and yours pops and there are all these elements uh going on uh using the lens as the focal point having like the icon she she does a lot with the space and the colors in there and where the eye is drawn. I just absolutely love the book just from the cover. <laughs> and I personally judge a book by its cover. Wines and books, I judge by by the label or cover. And if it looks good, uh, nine times out of 10, it is good. So I look yeah. for a good cover first, and then I get into the book. And you know what's fantastic is, like with the three of us, is everybody just picks up whatever needs to be done. And you talked about before advice of writing a book. I don't think I would write a book by myself. I would have at least one other person, maybe two other people, because, you know, his wife did the cover. Randy did a lot of the graphics. I'm doing a lot of the marketing for it. Paula did the website. And, you know, by having three people do it, um, there are no egos, like, you know, between the three of us. It's just like, who needs to do it? okay, I'll take this, you take that, you take that. And people tend to go towards, you know, what they're more comfortable with, you know, doing. Um, and we just really lucked out his wife. He's like, my wife's a graphic artist. She can make something that we, you know, haven't seen before. And that lens goes throughout the book. We have copyright uh, free pictures of it, like in every single chapter, uh, outlining curriculum, hardware, software community. Um, and it really is like a closer look at how you could use media and, it's easy to do. It's not a difficult thing to do. And even for teachers that feel uncomfortable, and we get this question a lot, you have the experts sitting right in front of you, either in your class or in your Zoom room or in your you know, Microsoft room, Microsoft Meets room, like rely on the students. They know media a lot of it better than myself from growing up you know, on YouTube and just kind of direct them of where to go. And they're going to come up with some phenomenal products. That's solid advice. Thank you so much for being on, Bruce. No, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. I've listened to a bunch of your shows, and I'm excited to always talk technology and uh, share ideas. Yeah, thank you, Bruce.
Thank you for listening to the TNT EdTech Podcast. You can follow us on any podcast player of your choice. Also on Twitter at TNT EdTech. Follow us on the web at www.tntedtech.com. TNT EdTech Podcast are a member of the Family of Fine Podcasts on the Unpodcast Media Network. Helping explain education one podcast at a time. Visit Unpodcast Media Network of Podcasts at unpodcastmedia.com.